Aloha and welcome to the Hawaii Shoots podcast called How Do You Shoot That? The show that discusses everything that you need to know about filmmaking and photography here in Hawaii. As always, I am here with my lovely co-host and yoga extraordinaire, Jen Liu. Hey guys. And today we're super duper excited to have another awesome guest. He's had an amazing career in the creative industry here in Hawaii. He started his own creative shop years ago. He's been an art director, a creative director. He's done photography. He's done all kinds of fun things. So tonight's going to be a really fun discussion with my good friend, Noah Tom. Hey, everybody. So Noah, uh, kind of like Doc, uh, who we, we chatted with just a little bit ago. Take us a couple steps back. How did you get started in this creative industry? Um, I was waiting tables. I did not go to school for any sort of uh, creative abilities. Um, I, I barely passed high school. I really didn't know what I was doing. And I happened to be waiting tables. Uh, backing up a, a little bit, um, I've always had a love for the technology. Um, and that goes way back when, before the Mac was even born. Uh, Apple IIs like, were just amazing a monochrome green screen machines and and I wanted to know everything about them and I, I spent a lot of time doing that. It was probably the only time I rushed to school. I would actually show up at school at like six in the morning just to spend an extra hour in the computer lab because that's when the principal would show up and open up the school so I could like sneak into the computer lab and spend an hour there by myself. And they had no idea what I was doing. I was probably copying games and playing games in there for all I know. Um <laughs> But it really, it really got us, got me off to a start where I had a lot of background knowledge of the computers and what they were doing. And, and right when I was not going to college uh, was really when desktop publishing was kind of taking off. And I knew a little bit about it. I'd fooled with it. I had known people in the industry, just kind of like that were friends, but I didn't really do what they did. I didn't know what they did. And I was waiting tables and these two other waiters had started a surf publication called h 3 Heavy Water Magazine. And um, it was probably in its second year at that time. And they were looking to do more and they they needed help basically. And what I did was I kind of lied my way in there. They said, oh, we we lay out stuff in Quark Express and can you manage that? And I said, sure, I can figure that out. I've probably seen PageMaker like twice. And uh, I figured, oh, Cork, why not? I can, I can figure out Cork. Um, showed up to do my first issue. I was handed a, kind of a, a column called Beach Break, which is like a newspaper column, just rows and rows of text set story after story. And I just had to lay it out and send it to publication. And that was it. That was my first assignment there. Um, none of the stories had endings. I had let the columns all end in a little box saying that there was still more copy there. And I just ended i didn't read it i just kind of laid it out it went to publication none of the stories had endings so like all these surf contests had all these results that were kind of cut off the end of the piece wow and uh you know i got yelled at for that uh quite a bit but the funny thing was uh we waited and we waited and nobody complained it was a surf publication printed on newsprint and if people picked it up for free at zippies people were there looking for surf photos nobody was reading beach break and that luckily, because I was able to keep my job there, uh, even though I was kind of volunteering. I volunteered for them for about two years before they actually even gave me a paycheck. And they gave me a paycheck because I bought my own computer to do work there. So it was kind of like I kind of volunteered and then got paid to buy a computer. Wow. 
which stayed there and I, I worked on that because we just didn't have enough machines to go around. So that was my first investment into my career. And I, I spent probably 10 grand on a, on a machine that right now you could probably do the work on your iPhone with. Um, but uh, that kind of got me going down the path. I met more people in the industry. I um, was luckily published a few times uh, in Graphis uh, through the magazine. Wow. We, we, yeah, it got picked up. We, we actually got a real creative director there. We got a real person. Uh, he's still working in the industry now, Ken McGuire. He's over at MVMP now, from mm. what I've been hearing. Um, but he was a, a real art director from Thrasher Magazine. He brought magazine experience and taught me a ton of stuff. And this is how I tend to learn. I tend to learn by doing. Mm. And just getting somebody with experience around me was amazing. Of course, you know, after a couple of years of that, I decided, hey, I know everything I need to know, and we're going to go start our own business. So that's kind of what Brad was mentioning. I, I kind of ran my own shop with a couple of partners for about eight years. Um, we were called Studio Ignition. First of all, we were called Goss, Magpock, and Tom, and then Chris Magpock decided to go off, and so we decided to get a real name, <laughs> which became Studio Ignition, uh, which uh, Stephen Goss and myself ran together for a long time, and we won tons of awards uh, doing some amazing work. Some of, the, some of the best work of my career still, I think, but we paid ourselves almost nothing. We had huge overhead. We had employees, which is crazy. And looking back on it, hiring employees was probably one of our craziest things we did during that time, and we weren't paying ourselves enough. We were doing a lot of work, and we were kind of working to pay our employees. So we were really getting well-known in the market, but uh, we weren't making money doing it. And so Stephen and I had kind of come to a point where we said, okay, we need to kind of scale back. And we scaled back, let all the employees go. And we were sitting there in January. Like this was the end of the year in like 2000, uh, 2003. End of 2003, we were sitting around and we were just like, okay, let's lick our wounds. Let's, let's work with the clients we still have, which we had some good clients, Hawaiian House Coffee, Hawaiian Host, uh, Dole Pineapple and Papaya, you know, we were doing packaging and, and graphic design and logos and branding for these people. And I said, well, just, you know, slow it down. We're not making money. Let's let's figure out how to make this work. And so we, we cut it down to ourselves. We kept the same office space. It wasn't really that big anyways. But um, we found that we were both just kind of exhausted. And then we didn't kind of know what to do next. And I was like, well, you know, maybe I'm just going to go, go get a real job. I said, like, hey, we've done this for eight years. Maybe it's time to go find a real job. And uh, he was like, you know, stick it around for a little bit. We'll, we'll, we'll try to put, the, put money in the coffers and then we'll, we'll start again. And I was like, okay, okay, okay. Um, strangely enough, uh, an offer that we, I didn't expect, uh, that had kind of fallen through before, entered the table. Doug Harris had broken off from Laird Christensen Harris. And Doug had tried to bring us into LCH originally. Uh, which that deal kind of stalled. It never really happened, but he wanted us to take over the creative team there at the time. And uh, when Doug broke off, it was a natural thing for him to come to us and ask again. And I looked at Steven, and even though I knew he might not enjoy working for Doug, we'd known him, we'd done things with him and SmartCom before that. Uh, I said, Steve, let's take a chance, and I can get into the industry and have some real credits to my name, which was weird because we had... All this great work, but if I went to go apply in an agency, they wouldn't know me from anybody. I worked at a small publication that was kind of unknown now. It had closed in that 
period of time, and then I'd worked for my own company, so it was like I had no credentials. Mm -hmm. So it was really a weird space for me to be in, and I, I, I knew I could do more, but I didn't know how to walk in the door, and Doug gave us that opportunity. We were all of a sudden doing real advertising. So we went from like a design base to a broader um, advertising base, and it gave us new things we could learn to do. Hawaiian Host was kind of the casualty of that. I was really sad losing that client. They were kind of like a packaging design kind of thing, and they didn't really fit the new paradigm of what Doug wanted to charge versus, you know, our time to work on projects and those kind of things. So that kind of fell by the wayside. Most of our clients did eventually kind of scale away, um, but we ended up doing some great things for Doug and Burger King Hawaii and KFC Hawaii. Um, his circus, Doug bought a circus for a little bit. Uh, there was, yeah, I mean, but we, we got to do all this um, really interesting advertising. We started doing television. It was a new thing for me at that point. Studio Ignition, we'd done like one spot for Hawaiian Isles Coffee, and it was a Christmas spot with a Christmas bag because we designed the Christmas bag, so mm -hmm. we did a Christmas spot. But it really wasn't, um, it really wasn't about story. So we kind of learned uh, on the job about telling stories and telling them visually. You know, up to that point, we sold messages on packages. We, we understood shelves and stores and those kind of things. But building on that, we were able to um, take our skill set and go much farther. Steven um, put up with Doug for about two years, uh, which I kind of figured. I mean, I, I knew that he wouldn't uh, really last in that situation. He went freelance after that. Uh, and then he's moved off to Canada, actually. Wow. I miss him immensely, but uh, mm. uh, he's off doing some interesting things up there. Myself, I, I was at Harris for about six and a half years. I, we did a ton of work there, um, all of it which I'm very proud of. Um, but when the opportunity came to jump ship and Anthology was kind of going through this new renaissance, they had gone into this big merger with Star and, and uh, Laird Christensen and, and uh, McNeil Wilson. Everybody kind of like turned into this Uber company and then the market fell apart. So Anthology kind of went through this house cleaning for a couple of years, and I was technically the first hire after the, the fall. Like, and I wasn't actually a new hire so much as I was replacing somebody that actually was needed that was leaving. So I got, I got a spot. Luckily enough, April saw what I was doing, and she liked um, what I was doing. And then I, again, gave me an opportunity to play in a bigger sandbox. So from there... Um, the the spot just happened to be an art director on Hawaiian Airlines. And so, like, I just, I was full tilt, like, the moment I walked in there. I actually was just talking about this today. When I started there in 2010, I wanted to take a couple of months off. I was like, I you know, yeah. I'd done my own business. I'd done six and a half years mm -hmm. at Harris. I was ready. I was like, I could take two months off, enjoy my kids, yeah. like, have a little time. And April was like, we need you now. And I, I really regret. I really regret letting the job kind of muscle me in there. But I think that, you know, I didn't want to rock the boat in any way. And I was new. And I just wanted to, I wanted to go to the next step. And I wanted to do what I was doing. But I, it, it has been full tilt. Brad was there when I started. He can testify for the first uh, couple of years that I was there. But it has gone even crazier since, uh, since then. Um, Hawaiian has grown, mm -hmm. you know, threefold since I've been there. And we've, we've worked on so many of the new projects that they're working on. All the new planes. I got a chance to, 
And, and this is just a sidebar. I got a chance to design the interior of an A330. I was working on carpets and plastics and leathers, and I learned more about weaving than I ever wanted to know. But I now know a lot about yarn and weaving and, and how the carpets are made. And if you look at the carpet on an A330 until they change it to reflect the new brand pretty soon, uh, you'll see the pattern that I designed. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, and that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, I've done a lot of things on Hawaiian. I've also worked on uh, American Savings Bank and uh, Hawaiian Telecom. Uh, we, we just finished a thing for Texaco uh, with the Island Energy Hawaii. And I, there's more. I mean, it just keeps going. There's so many things to be doing. I'm speechless right now. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> that's my nutshell. That's my story in that's a nutshell. That's amazing. That, that's, a, that's a big nutshell. <laughs> Of, of really great uh, storytelling throughout your career. And, and along the way, you've gotten to meet a lot of other creative people. Uh, Definitely. We kind of started this whole session talking about how you work with digital artists. You, you work with some of the best commercial photographers and cinematographers in the state to build this content for these amazing clients and you know marketing and advertising and all of these things. Uh, and I think it is especially within the new uh, digital kind of social media world, um, there is, I think, a, a big disconnect with those who's just getting started into content creation of what the difference is between creating content for a brand, creating an advertising piece, creating something that's supposed to be sales-driven. Um, but at an, at an agency, I mean, you have to understand all of these different points of communication, how they're different, and, and how to create them uh, working with different types of artists who perform each one of these disciplines in a different way. Right. We're um, like a photographer. Like I'll use somebody I use quite a bit. I use Ray Huo for a lot of photography work. She's great. And she'll probably hear this, but I don't use her for everything even though she's great at everything mm -hmm. uh we definitely need a group of photographers that do different things and um it has to do with us actually wanting different styles and even ray would understand if, if she heard this that her style is ray's style and mm -hmm. each photographer has their own style so if we're looking for something specific we're going to go to that photographer that shoots that way now you know of course ray loves a job and she'll say well i can shoot that way but we definitely need to have like a broad scope of people and and as much as Ray is one of my closest friends I use other photographers mm -hmm. you know like we lose uh, Lou Harrington is great with uh, people I think his uh, personality is really great with children um, he, he tends to be able to pull out performances out of people in stills I mean we're only talking stills but performance is a big part of what a still does too it has to move you in a way that video you know, can kind of do it without trying as hard. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, of course, we use different videographers. We've worked with Brad before. Luckily, I finally got to work with him this last month. Uh, but we, we work with uh, Sean Hyatt and... Uh, uh, Kinetic? Well, yeah, Kinetic. And they have their shooters. Um, I was thinking about uh, Paul Atkins and, oh, yeah. and uh, uh, just the, the different people, Dave Sato... You know, so like all these people have their own different style, and for each different job, they bring something else to the table. I mean, most of the time, I'd love to have Sean working with me on, on my job. He's he's really great, and he's 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 like that all around great shooter. But 
there's different people with different styles again so yeah. it's it really comes down to the job and um, if I can say anything to like people that are trying to get into the industry and trying to uh, find their way into these places is make friends with the professionals like find people like me or even people like Sean or Ray and although Ray is less friendly to other photographers than I'd like her to be. Uh, some people aren't. Like Rick Noyle is very open to other photographers. Uh, you know, some people are old school and want to keep them themselves to themselves. But I, I think some of the, the newer groups are, are a lot more open about this broad sharing, kind of like what Brad does. Brad likes to bring people together, likes to have conversations with people and, and ask, you know, what are we doing? What are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? And it's unique because I get to jump to all these great photographers. I can learn photography from the best in the state, and I have. And that's why you spent the money that you spent. For and unfortunately, <laughs> that's the why I spend the money I spend on the gear that I have. It's like I'm not, I'm not buying a, a crummy little point and shoot because I've actually seen what real gear can do. And you know, if I was happily ignorant of it, I'd be very happy. My so my wife, I'm sure. Um, but uh, it it has a certain cost. I mean, to to shoot the best stuff to record the best stuff you're gonna spend money on equipment i mean it, it just it comes but it's not what it's not what creates i mean if anyone's listening out there and thinks they need the best equipment you don't you can take a little point and shoot and if if i hand it to ray ray's gonna shoot a picture of that point and shoot that i couldn't come up with there's a lot to do with the photographer a lot to do with the skill a lot to do with the balance and and the framing and the how are you getting this together um I have a vision as an art director of what I want my image to look like. But a photographer can bring me something that I hadn't envisioned. And, and that's part of what's happening. They can find something that I can't find. But what my knowledge of photography has given me is an ability to speak the language that the photographer can understand. If I want the background less in focus, I can tell her that I want the aperture more open or closed to change the depth of field and I know what affects the end result but I don't have to tell her how to shoot it you know but I can actually talk to her in her language or his language I mean, I'm talking about Ray again but I could talk to a photographer or a videographer about what I want to see based on what I know about the camera and what a camera does when you set things to a certain way so it just it, it's it's like learning a language so I've I've invested in the equipment I've done the work and I've I've actually tried to shoot things myself so that I know better what I'm actually creating but you also dabble a little bit in your own photography um, you've you've done some stuff that has been picked up by clients sure uh, and I'm I'm totally good at doing some you know a basic work and I'm, I'm not afraid of doing product shots and I've done that kind of thing um, if you go into Hawaiian Airlines and you see those giant uh, murals on the wall of the engine and the wing and the landing gear, that's mine. I shot that. But it's stylized, so it really doesn't... I just had to make sure the contrast was correct to, to get it to work out onto that graphic. But I, and I've done things, but it's not... I wouldn't hire myself. I mean, and the, the worst thing about hiring myself is I can't direct myself. I love being able to have a photographer there that has all the skills I need and be able to direct that or a videographer or whatever it is. But if I'm doing it myself, I find that I have to shoot it all and then I have to look at it and go, oh, I didn't do it right. 
because it's it's it, you can't have both hats on all the time. So you do have to step back. But again, it's it's about learning the language that that really helps. And part of it is also being too close sometimes yeah. to a oh, project definitely. or a client or something, right? To be able to see objectively what could make this campaign sing. It's like I'm all, so we have a production team. I'm I'm really spoiled at anthology. I actually have a, a print production team, so I can actually put something together that's not quite finished and hand it off and say just make it look like that generally fix all the problems but i'm always looking at their work and i'm saying oh like kerning you guys know what kerning yes. is nobody can see kerning when they're doing it. when they're when they're doing a job it's super hard to see kerning when somebody walks up to you with a piece of paper that you have not been staring at for an hour you can go oh this needs to be kerning this needs to be kerning this needs to be kerning and i, I always tell them i said do not feel bad that you did not do this right because you cannot see it when you're doing it. It's just you're blind to it because you're busy and you're trying to finish a job. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing with photography. If you're doing it yourself, you're blind to things that you can't see unless you're a really good professional, which I'm not. So that's why I, I would say that I would prefer to have somebody else. I mean, you just can't see what you're doing. You're, you have blindness to your, your own job. Totally. I mean, I think we get that way even in edit. You know, you're looking at the same sure. clips over and over, and you're like, this is beautiful, but it doesn't fit And then you the get a chance to show or, it to somebody else, yeah. and you go, what is this doing exactly. here? Exactly. So, uh, yeah, sometimes you got to take a, a couple of steps back to look at your own work. Sometimes you need somebody else or a it's team. always great. I mean, that's help. one of the great things about working at a large agency is that we always have eyes. There's, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a bazillion eyes to look at things, even if we are a little protective of our, our work sometimes, which I try not to be, but it happens. It's great to have a second set of eyes on everything. So I think sitting in these chairs, we actually represent the traditional trinity of production from client to agency and production Mm -hmm. uh, and how things have typically worked. And these days, I mean, but we also represent artists in our own work, Mm -hmm. in our own endeavors, starting up our own businesses, shooting our own uh, work for family or whatever it is. But even that model is changing a little bit, and we see a lot of that happening today, even in your own personal stuff uh, and professional stuff. How do you see these shifts taking place today? Shifts of labor? Shifts of... Or, or that kind of like everyone's doing every job kind of feeling? Um, there is a huge trend right now where a lot of large companies huh. are bringing agency type of models in-house to do their own work in-house. Oh, there's, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's also direct going from client straight to production. Mm-hmm. There's uh, agencies also building their own content to distribute on their own without even needing a without client. Without needing a client. Yeah, so, so like it, it, content, again, is king, but it's king in a whole new way. Yes. Yeah. Content has taken on a life of its own, and my 10-year-old, 9-year-old daughter can create content. That's viable to the world. The world wants this content. I mean, look at things like Netflix. Uh, used to be a content content distribution company. You know, they were getting everyone else's content out. They're sucking up so many creative ideas. Like we're in this weird golden age of mm-hmm. television. Television television is really a weird word now yes. because. They're Uber movies, you know, like they're uh, 18, 10 to 12 episodes long, two hours each or an hour each. And like they're Uber movies that that tell this gigantic story and you walk away from it for a little while and you you absorb and then you go back or you binge through like hours of television, television again. I I keep calling it television, but it's it's really content. 
Like we're, we're absorbing so much content now. And that's definitely changed, whereas everyone's producing it. So why wouldn't an agency have somebody in-house to be able to do it? I think agencies have been uh, falling away since the media dollars aren't there as much. Like as print, and I'm not going to say it's going to die, but as print changes, mm-hmm. and it's changed in a big way, print has become something that is... Um, great to feel and tactile and I think the the publications that are going to survive this are going to have great looks and timeless stories I think the idea of getting news or getting any sort of timely things in a print publication are gone like that's not the best way to get the newest things it's the way to get something that is timeless a timeless story about someone a timeless story about something information about some place you want to go that is told in a narrative fashion not a factual fashion you can't get that online unless you get this publication they're they're holding things back now from the online presence well it's kind of like how you know online stores will sell their online thing but when you go to the store they have other things because right. I, I know with patagonia i was like looking at this bag and i was like oh, i'll just go in the store and i was like wait you have all these other colors like oh yeah we don't sell this online <laughs> i'm like no i want to i want to get more stuff now but and as as amazon takes over oh yeah oh jeez. Yeah. i mean it's a little scary that the idea of going somewhere to get something is disappearing. Yeah. So I have a question. Okay, so you know how like back in the day everybody's like records are so old school. I got my CD player and then then it's like the MP3 and now all of a sudden, you know, you have people buying record players now and buying like vinyls all of a sudden and then like even the hand lettering like that was like an old school way of doing things and now people are putting it all over their wedding stuff and all over their you know, postcards, whatever. Do you ever think that it's going to come back to that or even just the way we work? No, it's become, I believe it's totally become something that's unique and uh, it's never going to have the level of support it once did. Music is forever changed. We are not going to have a physical music thing anymore. It's all going to be in the cloud. I held out as long as possible and really what kind of got me into it was the whole Alexa devices Mm -hmm. and I just said sure here here's 10 bucks I don't want to have to deal with where my music is I don't want to have to curate my music collection I want to be able to turn on a device and say play this and it plays it or buy this and then here it is yeah well I mean I'm not I like the idea of I don't have to know what I want to want to listen to I just have to know that I want a library that's gigantic that will have just about everything I want to listen to. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know there's a few artists that have held out, but I really don't care. Yeah. Most of the ones you want are online. Yeah. I mean, there's like just a few people that are just like, no, I'm not going to do it. But most of them are like on Amazon Music. And I can just, I can tell, I, I was just talking to somebody today about getting an earworm in your ear. And now you can just tell your Alexa to play it for you. Oh, I love it. Yeah. You're just like, oh, you're humming something. I don't know. Oh, play that. Well, my own husband's like, you don't talk to me as much. Because I talk to Alexa. I'll be like, what time is it? You know, or I'll be like, oh, you know, set a timer. And he's like, you used to ask me these things. And I was like, well, you know, you got mad at me for asking you these redundant questions. Like I said, I, I miss being Google. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have all the answers. But part part of it is also just, not that we're getting lazier, but we like suggestions. That's sure. the whole reason why the radio was was helpful in the past, right? It would suggest new songs to try out. Sure. Alexa does that for you automatically as it learns your behaviors and taste. And Yeah, it throws up suggestions all the time. 
I guess play a playlist that I've never seen before. But oh, it sounds good. I, I played something called Yacht Stories, or and like it just had like things from the Bee Gees and like nice. and it was just, it was weird. It had a weird title, but I was like, okay, yacht music. Here, let's play. Listen to yacht music. Nice. Right. Then you just don't even have to think about your you CD player or anything. No. I'm like, just surprise me. Yeah. But I think it gives you more opportunity to create, right? Like, you know, when you're not having to think of these, like, specific things. Like, I need my playlist to be X. And then you kind of let yeah. go. Have well, that creative. Ability. It definitely saves time. Yeah. So the time I would normally spend curating a digital collection of music was huge. Like, I still have a relatively large amount of physical well now it's digital music but i have cds that are stored away that i haven't sold to anybody and all that's been digitized twice like i went through in the early days and recorded it like 98 bit or whatever it was now it's like a 320 is what everyone's like kind of baseline mp3 level is and so i went through and i did redid the whole set which because I'm, I'm kind of neurotic about that and now i'm like i don't care yeah. like i have all my music and i'm paying 10 bucks a month and my daughter can listen to music wife can listen to music and and what does it matter Mm -hmm. like used to feel so cool having this album that like nobody cared about this obscure like they might be giants imports uh, import lp (laughs) that had three songs on it and like you know i have it no one else has this album yep and that that's gone yep because everybody has it yep so does that go to a behavior shift in our society that says we're okay with leasing life, yes. borrowing life rather than owning, uh, whether that's a condo or a, a song or a car or whatever it is, Uber versus you know, insurance payments on your car or something like that? Well, I think Uber is that introduction to not owning a vehicle, uh, which you know, if, if and when self-driving cars create themselves, we might not need to own vehicles if there's a vehicle that can be there in your house in 30 seconds yeah you don't need a car like they're just all driving around on the road and you press a button you say oh i need to go to Mm -hmm. x and 30 seconds later it pulls up to your house and you jump in and you go to x you don't need a car and (laughs) i was talking about how i like to keep a car for 10 years i don't like to buy a new car i usually find a car that's a couple years old and i keep it for 10 years and i i'm horrible with cars i beat them to death so 10 years, by the time it's 10 years, it's barely got even trade in value. But that kind of comes out, and what I've been spending is about eighteen dollars to $20,000 for a car. And that's two grand a year. And that's how I look at it like, oh, I'm spending two grand a year on a car. Now, if somebody could give me mobility like a car for two grand a year, money on the barrel head at this point. And I think that's plausible. A couple hundred dollars a month, somebody has a system that's coming up that you could spend a couple hundred dollars a month and get anywhere you needed to get to. Car share. Cool. There is car shares, but then that's still your driving. I know. We're getting there. We're getting, We're getting there. there. But that's what I'm saying. Uber, car shares, these things are the introductions yes. to taking away your car. And I think there's always going to be somebody that has a classic car, has a car they yes. really love. Yes. Or, that's or they want to be on a motorcycle. And these people are going to exist. And, and I think that this new system needs to accommodate that yeah. in every way. Like, you can't have an all-auto-driving world. Like, I think you need to accommodate the people that are not going to join. But I think it's going to have this push. It's, eventually, it's going to hit that, that edge of the cliff, and everyone's going to be a part of it. I mean, I think everything can coexist in that way. Just yeah. like how you said there's more. There can be videographers that are for There can be people that buy LP records now. 
exactly. have, have phonograph records. They, well, they exist. But what I'm saying is they're never going to be the mainstream. That, this is true. Because I was going to say It's yes, done. Yes. Hand lettering, not going to be the mainstream. Letterpress, not going to be the mainstream. But they make good money. I'm not saying that you can't make good money doing those things. Yeah. Somebody selling records in this day and age can make some pretty good money because yeah. it's a premium product. Yes. Somebody making a record player can make some pretty good money these yes. days because it's a premium product. There's no low-end yeah. record player now. Yeah. Like, it doesn't exist. You buy a record player, you're paying a lot. top dollar. Yes. We, we were in Waikiki just for, for a weekend, and I walked into Urban Outfitters, and they're selling record players. Right. They're selling vinyl, and they're selling... There was this little bin with cassette tapes. And but Urban Outfitters has for years made their yep. brand about selling... Retro. And, yeah, it's yep. all about the retro. I mean, right now it's all about the 90s, and I was like, oh, man, my little cousin's wearing stuff like I used to be wearing at her age, and I was like, that's just weird. <laughs> I was like, chokers and you know turtlenecks. I was like, leave that back. <laughs> <laughs> the 90s were a confusing time. It was, it was. It's confusing to see my younger niece wearing that. That's why I was like, what's happening? I survived the 80s. Yes. It was about the same. Yeah. So with with this, I think there's similar tendencies also within the design, the advertising, the video world, where things are becoming more commoditized and less uh, unique. The work itself? The the work itself. Um, the, the operators, like a lot of it is becoming less about the artistic quality of an individual piece and more about the quantity and, and how to churn out more data every single day. So Like post every day? Or well, yeah, I don't think, think that's untrue I, I know that's a double negative i don't think that's <laughs> untrue but um i think that the gatekeepers are still a bit older than me and i mm-hmm. think they right now are still going to hold on to the artistic form of what we are doing mm-hmm. i think you're right in as the low end is becoming super commoditized like i can watch a dozen videos on youtube about how to shoot a youtube video that's going to get you a adequate product it's not going to be well lit it's going to be an adequately lit product and people think that that's fine and maybe it is maybe for the the new paradigm the new people coming up and maybe when i'm long gone and the gatekeepers have changed people will accept this kind of run and gun shaky cam video that exists i know you're looking at me like that's crazy but it could turn into a thing the way rock and roll did to our you know parents you know like they didn't think that was going to hold on and and rock and roll is well i think roots you know i I think what's interesting is like um i feel like i'm in this like in-between phase because i you know when i was going up into my career for communications you know i had bosses very strict about grammar punctuation capitalization zokinas and then i see other people you know younger people that start their own business and you see copy that's written and it's pushed out on printed material and things are misspelled, or the grammar's incorrect, and it's not like a, a minor thing, it's kind of like the headline, maybe, mm-hmm. and you're just like, how did that... You know, in big pubs, too, in, right? In big pubs, big and the thing is, is that no one reprimand. There's no... There's no, uh, and there's I no want, penalty for it. There's no penalty, and I just think to myself, is that we're, we're getting lazy with, like, like you said, is it quantity? Is it just like, okay, I got it out, I'm pumping out the next story, da 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 or like... And, like, I do think there's always going to be a time and place for something that's really w- well curated, a certain brand, a certain elevation... But I do, I do have concerns about that because, you know, I'm not the best speller, but I think that also we should spell things correctly if we can. What you're saying is yeah. like spell check and copy and paste yep. and all these things allow us to do so much more with what we're writing. Yes. Like how, what happens when you take that away? And I was in fear of this essay. Like I can't write that way anymore. Mm. When I write, I throw a jumble of stuff down there. There's no sort of, I mean, I barely make a 
outline of what I'm doing. You know, if I'm lucky, if there's a chicken scratch, anything. And then I just kind of start pounding words into a thing and then I read it and then I cut sections out and I put things in and, you know, I can talk off the top of my head, but I can't write that way. Well, just a, a side note, my, my company loves to do the handwritten thing because I remember I went to my first meeting, I brought my laptop, I was like the opposite of like legally blonde where everyone had their notebooks and I had my laptop, I'm like, okay, better start writing because they like to handwrite their notes. I'm like, okay, it's different. But that's like a record. It right. is. It is. I mean, they're, 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 they're trying to be unique. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, so talking about the new generation, yeah. um, we've got a lot of kids coming up with a lot of new technical chops. Something that we kind of, you know, as as tech tech guys, you know, we prided ourselves on. Part of part of being in the creative industry as a photographer, as a filmmaker, used to be the technical ability to do something well, you know, exposure properly, audio properly, all of these things. Uh, now, a lot of these tools do it for us, which allows new generations to not have to go through that. I mean, self-built websites are mm. simple. So you think the learning process is being... Correct. The learning process is, is so different now because the, the actual processes are automated almost. Uh, so we have a whole new generation of filmmaker that's budding and, and growing um, which really shortens the learning curve, and you just get to create now. Uh, how do you think that's going to affect just the, the, these, these industries that we're talking about? Well, I want to talk about the thing first, and then we can talk about the yeah. effect. The thing is, I don't think people are siloed anymore. See, I was always one of those people that learned everything I can get my hands on. And so I have a broad spectrum of knowledge when it comes to everything I do creatively. But that is not no longer, I'm no longer unique. Like that's the norm. The mm -hmm. kids are coming up with such a broad vision of what they can do that they are a videographer, they're a sound guy, they're a photographer, they're a graphic designer, they're everything. You know, they're, they're a gardener, like you called me earlier. Like these people are knowing the things that I know through like my 40 plus years of life like I collected this stuff like a like a crazy person trying to get it and now these kids have all this knowledge and it's really due to the internet mm -hmm. it's all at their fingertips when I wanted to learn how to do something when I was 18 I had to find a mentor mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I had to find somebody that actually did it and now there's no need there's somebody on YouTube right now that'll tell you exactly how to do anything you want to know how to do mm -hmm as obscure as it possibly could be and the kids are sucking it up i have totally how to do that like someone's like do you know how to do photoshop i'm like yeah i totally know how to do it on the phone there i'm like okay youtube how to photoshop and delete this. <laughs> yeah. and i'm like you know and then then you figure it out you figure it out but I, that, <laughs> everyone's way more rounded than ever before and so is that changing the industry yes mm -hmm. in a big way i think people aren't going to have their set jobs anymore um it was something I had to kind of get used to at Anthology. Mm -hmm. At my own shop, of course, I did everything because mm -hmm. that's what you do when you have your own shop. You're the IT guy. You're the you're the janitor. You take out the trash. Yeah. You're you're the uh, HR person. You're mm -hmm. dealing with people's you know payroll, payroll and yeah. problems, and, and you're the accountant, and you're mm -hmm. you're doing all the things that aren't part of your job. And I carried that a little bit of that over to Harris. I actually still was I was the IT guy for Harris along with associate creative director and, you know, like doing design and doing all the work that I had to do. 
um, you know, account service people would say, hey, my computer's down, or I got a virus, and I'd have to, like, stop everything I was doing on my mm-hmm. project, so run over and deal with that. Um, coming to Anthology, like, I, I didn't really collide with Brad, but I was super happy that I had an IT person there with Brad that was understanding of the fact that I was going to noodle with everything there. Um, when I got there, the machines were a little bit on the old side, and uh, Brad pretty much turned a blind eye to the fact that I gutted the machine and <laughs> shoved in my own RAM and hard drives to make it run just a tad bit faster so that I could do my job. And, I mean, that's that's a level of kind of... And I, I bumped up against that quite a bit. I actually upgraded a few other people's machines along the way, too, much to the chagrin of, of uh, the management team. But I, I was like, why is my... I have a production, I had, like I said earlier, I have a production staff there. Why is my production staff suffering with a slow machine mm-hmm. when $50 in RAM is going to fix their machine yeah. right now? And I just threw down $50 in RAM and shoved it in that machine. And then I got a message from my boss. I'm like, <laughs> oh, okay, maybe I shouldn't have done that. But you know what? Everything's working and yeah. we're doing much better. Yeah. Um, so I had to kind of step back from that. I had to kind of like rein myself in. And I think that these new people coming into the industry are going to run into that wall because again, the gatekeepers are there. Yes. Uh, and they have to be ready to be pushed back a little bit. Like, no, 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 no. You are an art director. You're not a copywriter. No, 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 no. You are an art director. You're not a video editor. Like, let's let's figure out our roles and this is what you're hired for and you're going to be doing this. Even if they have the skill set. I think people have to be patient. I, I think uh, I love the new generation. I love everyone that's coming into the industry. There's so many great people and I don't want them to get discouraged by the idea that they are going to get pushed back from the gatekeepers that are in place. Hmm. I think that there's a way around that. I think you can be patient and let them know what you know, but you don't have to do it. You can, you can do the job you're hired for. I think that, you know, everybody, you know, whether you're someone well seasoned or someone brand new, like working with either someone more experienced or someone new always will have a good balance, a good mix to like help the other person. Like the younger person that knows all the technology, has all the great ideas, will help the older person kind of understand about these new different things. The older people have to be open to the idea that they're going to still be learning. Yes, and and I think that you know it, it's a it's a win win. I think they just have it to. Can look, it can be definitely can. Yeah, be. and I think it's just about framing it so that you know young people don't think, well, you just don't get me, or you don't, you're not open, and vice versa. You know, because I think that you know as we, no matter what, we're always going to have someone more experienced, and then we're going to have this new up and coming person, and it's how to like balance those two. Because you talk about mentorship, right? Oh, definitely. And I think that that's something that's not talked about as much, perhaps because. I have my YouTube friend that has 8 million followers. So I get, you know, he and I get along where I think someone like going to actual mentorship is something that is suffering because there is knowledge to be had out there, but I don't think it's gone away. I think uh, the smarter people I know in this industry, the, the, the juniors that are, are making their way into this industry now are finding their way to a mentor. Yeah. But for those that have no idea, like, you know, maybe, maybe they just graduated high school and they're like, I don't think I'm cut out for college. Maybe I, or I want to just create, I can do it on my own. Let me start my own business. I mean, I think regardless own business or not, they do need to have a mentor type so that they can be like, Hey, I don't have to make a $20,000 mistake like my mentor did or whatever. They can do it. Yeah. I did it. Yeah. But I I would never recommend that path for anybody, uh, especially not my own kids. Uh, But 
anybody out there, I would say, you know what, the system, working within the system is easier than working around the system. Working around the system can be a little bit more rewarding. The freedom I had with my own shop, doing my own thing, was huge. What didn't come along with it was an adequate paycheck. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that's impossible. I know people that are doing that. I have contemporaries that stayed in that space that are doing fine. Uh, friends that are ooh, friends that are raising a couple of kids off of a design shop income, and they they just made that turn better than we did. You know, they went from that startup to an actual real business, and they they got a they knew more about it than I did. I mean, I knew nothing going in. I'm not saying that. That's a bad thing. Sometimes knowing nothing going in is a good thing because then you have no preconceived notions about what you should and shouldn't do and you can make your own mistakes. If you know too much, it stops you from doing something. That's good advice though. I mean, I think that a lot of times people are so afraid, like, you know, they want to put the perfect video out or they want to put the perfect X out, you know, like whether it be copy, photography, whatever. And then they don't share anything and then they don't get constructive feedback to learn and grow and they just keep it on their archives. Yeah. I am totally guilty of that. <laughs> I'm speaking more from experience when you say like, you know. I'm so guilty of that with photography. Yeah. I have, I don't know, I think I have a 10 terabyte setup at home, like a drive just storing video and photography, mostly the kids. But I do a lot of stuff around it. I don't share a lot. I Like I'll shoot for events and things, but I don't really share a lot of my personal personal stuff I'm and like I'm, I'm just like it, it's it's my thing i don't have, i'm not doing it for any sort of work thing but i take a lot and like people say oh where, where did that photo go that we took that photo and i'm like oh oh yeah i never gave that to you did i and it's because i'm just a little bit shy of my own thing and and i think that's true of anything creative you, you have a ownership of it and when especially when i'm doing it for myself when i'm doing it for work it's different yeah i have to let go it's a job where you cannot be artistic to a fault where you're just going to bump up against a client and say that, you know, I'm the, I'm the artist and you can't correct me. You have to understand that they have goals yep. also. So I give up a lot on that side. You have to. It's just the nature of uh, the advertising industry and design in general. But when I do things myself... Any little wrong thing or, or, or like who sees it is very important to me. I have all these photographer friends. They've mm-hmm. seen almost none of my photography. I'm embarrassed. When somebody asks me to take a headshot of a photographer, it's the most nerve-wracking thing ever. <laughs> like it drives me. I'm like I'm insane inside. I'm like, oh. And I'm like I'm good friends. Like Rick Noyle, uh, you know, okay. take a photo of Rick Noyle. I'm like, oh, I don't want to take a photo of Rick Noyle. Yeah. And it's just because... I don't feel that I'm as good as they are, and I'm afraid of, of judgment. And I know they won't. I know they'll be totally nice to me. They're, they're, they're great people, and I've known them forever. But I feel like it's just like I want to hide my own work because it's very personal to me. And it's something I can own um, because it's not. I'm not being paid for it. Brad, that's why I've shown you none of my work. <laughs> no, but I, that's, the, that's the truth of it. I think we, we have to kind of come out of that shell a little bit to grow as creatives, yes. to grow as artists. Some of the best artists I know share all the time. Yes, and I think I think the sharing is like being able to be open to that vulnerability, and that's that's a really strong character that I think um, people don't really. It's like understated, you know. People just sure. kind of share, and then people are like, "Oh, that sucks," or like, "That's amazing." And then you know, as the artist, you get to collect and understand more about what you can do better and grow. 
where I'm all like, okay, I made like four videos and I know I should show Brad to get constructive feedback, but no, I'm not there yet. So maybe like later <laughs> or maybe next week. <laughs> Don't worry, Brad, it's coming. Sweet. Well, it's amazing you guys are doing this podcast. Well, it, it actually spurred from my, uh, I think, nagging of, Brad, tell me how, how you do this or how do you do that? And like, okay, what's the best camera? No, Jen, there's no such thing as like the best when it's really about the story and da 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 And him bringing more people like you and, you know, all the other people we've talked to has helped me understand a lot more. So it's like, it's not just helping me, but it's helping everyone else listening and really like, you know, if you're afraid of creating or afraid of sharing, you know, I think that hearing everyone's story is so unique, but yet one thing in common is to share and that, you know, you just have to have those growing pains and struggles and find a mentor. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I always push for it. Uh, I try to give back more than I've, I've gotten. I got so many things in this industry by just having the right people around me at the right time and them being able to teach me what I needed to do to move to the next space. And I, I always try to do that for other people. So I'm always trying to find that person that needs that. Uh, we, Through some of the groups, I'm currently president of the AAF here in Hawaii. Um, so we, we try to give back through educational grants, but we also try to um, help uh, the college kids coming up. We do the ABCs of JOBs, which is coming up very shortly. And that's a, that's a great thing if you can sign up for it. I think it's gonna be at Cowork and I don't have the date right off the top of my head. But uh, check out AAFHawaii.com for the dates. Um, it is a panel of people like me that are in the industry working now. And uh, basically what we do is we have a whole bunch of Q&A sessions with, with you, the, the new people in the industry that are trying to get jobs, and like kind of what we expect out of you. And so like you, there'll be people there that you might be interviewing with. And it's, it's a good place to find those answers that you need like to, an ask me anything it's an ask me anything pretty much that. but it's, it's like a live ask me anything that is awesome from industry professionals yeah from industry yeah professionals. i mean that that's priceless i mean i think if i was a young person looking for a job that's an event that i would definitely head up you know to be able to put yourself there without thinking oh gosh i'm gonna blow an interview you can at least find out like what are you looking for what is yeah it? nobody's gonna blow an interview there unless you're really kind of weird I suppose. <laughs> but it's sometimes weird's good too so I mean, like weird can be great um yeah so like that that's a place where you can actually meet these people shake their hand before you actually have to sit down across from them in interviews which that's a little spookier i'm sure yep and and i think you know uh, we've we've gotten so many great uh bits of information from you tonight and i think one of the things that has been on trend so much over the last five years has been people want to work for themselves People want to be an entrepreneur. They want to build their own studio. They want to build. They they want to be this um, niche photographer, build up their own portfolio, etc. But I mean, one of the things that I encourage all of my friends, young people getting into the industry, is go and work for somebody else. See how mm -hmm. they do it. Um, and that's you. You've had experience in both sides, running your own shop and now working for two I of the largest agencies. I kind of wish I went the other way. Yeah, <laughs> like what you're suggesting. I kind of wish I got to work for somebody and then open my own yes. shop because I worked for a publication that really wasn't doing what I wanted to do. Yeah, um, it would have given me more knowledge, and I, I think that it was just timing, though. We didn't know enough to not do it, mm -hmm. and. I had no other way into the industry. I really wasn't that skilled at the point that I started my own business. I was skilled enough to, to do things, but I, it was 
our partners and the people we hired that, that were able to elevate us to the level that uh, we were actually good. Uh, and so like that was, I always kind of look back at that as that was my college. I yeah. kind of got like a, a minimal paycheck for about eight years to kind of learn creativity and design. But that's such an amazing story. I mean, it just shows that, you know, you're very committed. Lack of knowledge was the entryway to a great career. Like, because I didn't know anything, I didn't know any better, I was able to create something that I could bank on later. That's awesome. So, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying be aware, but charge. Charge in there. Yeah, I love that. But sometimes it, it helps to start with a foundation of mentorship, internship, uh, working for somebody else who's gone there before yeah. so that you can figure out turning this passion into an actual functioning, sustainable business. It's nice. so different than just taking your photos and posting them online and, and hoping for that to somehow turn into a career. You know, I, I always remember the moment Brad was telling me that he was leaving Anthology and he wanted to start his own thing. He wanted to be a what he's doing now and he said have you ever thought about leaving Noah and I gave him this deer in the headlights look you know because like I just had my third daughter (laughs) (laughs) like and I'm like I'm finally getting a paycheck Brad what do you want me to do and I just remember that feeling of oh no Brad you go off and do your own thing have a good time and not that not that I wished him to fail or anything or not that I didn't think he would succeed but I was like I remembered what I did when I was out yeah uh, Brad has done it differently. He definitely did it with much more aplomb than I did. <laughs> you know, but something that I got out of what you were saying tonight that I think is really important is like you can have a lot of different interests and you can still have your career. Yeah. So like I know for me when um, when I started, I wanted to go and be a fashion promoter, something completely different from what I'm doing now. And I just remember thinking like, you know, this is this is the end all. You know, I'm going to be a communications person. I'm a social media person. That's how I have to market myself. But as you guys, you know, are talking, it's like you can be more than just one thing. You can have hobbies. You know, you might really be passionate about video photography and what videography, whatever. But you might have three kids and you need to keep that accounting job. And then your accounting job allows you to pay for the nice toys that you want. So I think, you know, figuring out what it is, whatever spectrum you're, you know, as a listener, if you're a, you know, again, if you're a professional, maybe looking to have a career change or maybe you're a young person trying to figure out life and where you want to go next. I think there's a little something for everybody. And sometimes even parlaying your passions into your current job. Absolutely. Absolutely. I definitely do it because I love doing it. Like creating is like playing every day. I mean, there are stresses that come along with everything that I do. But in general, the reward is the fact that I get to play with different things all the time it's amazing you get to go and play every single day yeah you have a really awesome job and you're a very supporting and loving wife that's the biggest thing you need (laughs) out of everything any tool that i've talked about tonight it's having a very supporting uh second person in your life that home environment is super important somebody that holds the pieces together (laughs) yeah um but the best thing about it uh, and i i've used this metaphor uh, um hundreds of times to explain the difference between my wife's job and my job is that as a hygienist, uh, she gets eight patients a day. She sees an eight-hour day. She sees eight patients. If three patients don't show up on Monday, she doesn't get 11 patients on Tuesday. Whereas my job, Mm. if three of those patients don't show up on Monday, I have 11 things to do on Tuesday. So my stuff stacks up and hers is very regulated. So... 
she's been able to be the rock in our family, have the nine to five, get the kids picked up on time, get them to whatever's next. Uh, whereas, you know, I'm still lucky to get home around 6.37. I, she was just telling me how wonderful it was to have me home for dinner last week, and I, I haven't been home two nights in a row now. Aww. No, but it's a balance, and uh, you know you have to strike it. I mean, I love coming out and doing these kind of things too, so she understands that. She understands that I need a, an outlet that's not work too. I mean, even if I love work, I need to do something different, and these kind of things are, are part of what that is. I mean, whether I'm volunteering at AAF or AIGA or coming to chat with you guys. So uh, just, just one, last, one last question for you. Getting real practical, uh, whether they're a photographer, cinematographer, creative that wants to get into this industry, whether you know they want to pursue advertising or they want to pursue their own thing, what what would you suggest to them? Like how to how to focus their skills or build a business acumen or what? What do you think is one of those things that you would want to share? Is the end result that they want to stay here in Hawaii? Maybe. If you want to stay here in Hawaii. Um, I highly recommend finding your way into some of the uh, local groups, AIGA for one. Um, even if you're even if you're just doing like photography or video production, I know it's a design group, but you're going to make connections with the people around town. A- AAF is another good one. We have meetups occasionally. Uh, you'll be able to bump elbows with with people that are a broad spectrum in this industry. Um, those kind of social clubs really help you find connections. And we're a small group here. Uh, if I were to say you want to, if you wanted to get out of the state, you wanted to do something out of this industry, there's there's a myriad of schools you can go to. But um, the, the real hot communities right now are definitely still L.A. L.A. is still a big place. New York, you can get a little lost. But if you love New York, you can really do well there. Uh, but the Pacific Northwest is is taking off like gangbusters with uh, places like um, uh, Amazon and uh, the whole Kirkland Costco thing up there. There's there's so many jobs. Uh, Nike's up there. You know, a ton of large agencies are up there. There's so many opportunities to get into the industry there that you could start off at a really low level. I think the problem with Hawaii is we just don't have enough seats. And although we're doing a lot of good work, there's really not that many jobs. But maybe that's where it comes in with the networking, like you said, the finding the mentor. It is. It's finding the right people, bumping the the right elbows, just getting yourself known. Yeah, I think that's that's an amazing suggestion. It's about people. It's about who you know to find a a job. Hawaii shoots event. Hawaii shoots. Hawaii shoots. Listen to Doc and I talk about equipment all night. Oh yeah. Maybe you just don't spend the money just yet if you're just starting out. Yeah, and don't spend the money the way I spend the money. We've got I mean, plenty of gear to play with over here. Yeah, this is a Chinese in me. I'm just like, <laughs> you can always go rent gear. You can always go rent gear or borrow gear or barter other yep. services. There's always ways to get gear. Yep. And that, in a nutshell, is our friend Noah Tom. Gardener, biker, creator. And just all around like Mr. Fix-It. I know. Amazing. Mr. Google. Yeah. Mr. Google before Google. Thank you so much for being here. It was, it's always a blast chatting with you, Noah. Thank, Thank you. you. Super fun. Thanks, Brent. For sure. Thanks, Jen. And uh, as always, you can find us on social at Hawaii underscore shoots on Instagram. 
Uh, we've got a fun meetup coming up soon here. Um, and look forward to seeing you in person or online. Uh, I'm at Brad Watanabe. And I'm at Jay Lu. And I'm at Noto underscore HI. And that's it. You can find us on the socials. We'll connect with you more there. But until next time, we will see you in the cloud. We'll see you in the space. We'll see you next time. Aloha. Aloha. Shaka. Okay.